0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode number 87 of Stories from the Influencer Economy. This is Ryan Williams. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone you can go to pre-order my Influencer Economy book coming out on June 14th. So excited for you all to check it out. Finally, it's how to launch your idea, share it with the world, and thrive in the digital age. It's a 10-step marketing launch framework for anyone to launch their idea to the world. If you have any questions, always Ryan at InfluencerEconomy.com. Oh. In the Influencer Economy, each episode I speak with a world-renowned YouTuber or podcaster, New York Times best-selling author, or a world entrepreneur or startup investor. This show is like a laboratory where we hear the experimentation, creativity, and ideas behind some of the most successful work in the digital age. For episode 87, welcome Rishi K. Yearway, host of the podcast Song Exploder, part of the Radiotopia network from PRX, one of the largest podcast networks out there. Each episode, musicians take apart their songs, and piece by piece, they tell the story about how it was made. Artists like Weezer, The Edge from U2, Bjork, Postal Service have all been on the podcast, so make sure you check it out. If you'd like to give Rishi some love, you can tweet him at Song Exploder, like it sounds is how it spells, telling him that you enjoy this episode. So give him a shout at Song Exploder on Twitter. And influencereconomy.com has all our archives. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Happy to hear that you are tuned in for this episode. It's with the man behind the podcast, Song Exploder, Rishi Kesh Hereway. Welcome to the show. Thanks so
1: much. Thanks for having me.
0: Excited that I got your name right and that you're joining me. We both live in L.A. and it's such a busy city that, of course, we have to do this over Skype.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really like two different cities, at least, if not three or four. So
0: Yeah, coming back east and there's a Dodgers game tonight Yeah. on top of it all. So we live in modern times and uh, excited to have you on the show. So I guess for the, for the undoctrinated, uh, could you please
1: ex- describe what Song Exploder is? Song Exploder is a podcast where musicians take apart their songs and tell the story of how it was made. I use the isolated stems from a recording um, to illustrate the stories that they tell about the different sort of hidden parts of a song, the the different things that you wouldn't necessarily hear, both in terms of the music, but also just um, the stories behind their process. And so, you know, when they'll they'll be talking about how a guitar part was written and I'll play just the guitars from the recording. Um, so you can hear it, which you never really get to in, a in most cases, you know, you, you only hear the full finished song. This is a chance to hear the song deconstruct.
0: And, uh, and you've had guests like U2's Bono and the edge. You had the producers of the game of Thrones soundtrack. You've had best coast and a lot of different types of artists. You've had, uh, was it Raekwon? The, Ghostface Killer, Ghostface killer so, the, yeah. the producers and the, the creators of one of his tracks. And it's definitely a diverse uh, group of, of artists. And what I love about it is that so much of the podcast medium is like big chunks of half-hour content. And you're creating something where I can listen to two, three shows in one setting and get completely different experiences. Um, so with the Game of Thrones episode, for example, like was it intentional to... Pair these down into smaller nuggets so
1: people could listen to it more efficiently? Um, I think the main impetus behind it was that, uh, you know, I've done a lot of interviews as a musician from, from my own like music career and, um, and they're just usually not necessarily that interesting. You know, the, the stories behind these sort of like macroscopic stories behind a record or an album, um, might have some interesting biography, but, but a lot of times a great song doesn't necessarily have like a really crazy life behind it. And those, those interviews tend to be really long and really interesting, but a song might just be this little discreet thing. And so it felt right that the interview should also be this tight, discreet thing as well.
0: And when I, when I read you know, about the show with you two and Bono and, and The Edge coming on is you had said that the, a publicist on their behalf had reached out to you. Yeah, which is so cool from the element of podcasting, where you have Mark Maron in his garage and you in your studio at home, and like these these outlets of creativity that are happening on podcasts are now becoming destinations for more pop cultural understood and respected people and artists like you two to come on.
1: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. That week that the U two episode came out was also the same week as um, the Barack Obama episode. And we, you know, and Mark Marin and I live not too far from each other. So it felt like a a big week in uh, Northeast LA for podcasts.
0: (laughs) Repping Highland Park. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I had uh, Brendan McDonald, his producer, on the podcast and just telling the story about SWAT teams on their roof and how Marin Marin went out of town during all the pre planning. (laughs) Um, But the beauty of it is that the president sees that garage as an important place to have conversations and what's it like when you get this email and as a podcaster I reach out blindly to people all the time and I get ignored or I get reception as do I <laughs> and uh, you just keep going and I accept yeah. if they don't say no I figure they're busy and you know they'll get back to me what's it like on the other side
1: to have somebody yeah out. when you have like I the mean,
0: legitimate you know the the people who represent this massive super group arguably like the rolling stones of this era of a band that can sell out stadiums and arenas in no time.
1: Yeah, it was a little surreal. I had um I had reached out to them because I did an episode with Spoon and they have the same publicist and it didn't come through the publicist. So I sent it to them just to say, "Hey, I did an episode with your client. This is what my show is. Um it didn't come through you, but just wanted to let you know." And uh and that episode came out in August. I sent that email out in August. This was in December that they replied to it and said, "Hey, would you ever be interested in doing an episode with a member of you too maybe the edge maybe somebody else um and it was so casual that it really threw me off but i knew it was a reply to my email so i knew it was legitimate um and you know it was the fastest yes i've ever typed in, in an email i think
0: and so the spoon came on through another uh doorway they didn't come yeah through? that was through their l- record label okay and did the record label reach out to you
1: um i was connected to the record label just sort of generally like oh this is a podcast you know uh and we had like a sort of like a mutual friend my friend Jared Bell is there does graphic design for um for that label and so he introduced me to their creative director the creative director is this guy Adam and he just uh, he fell in love with the show and, and wrote me an email right away being like I, I love this I've already listened to a bunch of episodes I think this is great I would love to have some of our bands on there um how, how about spoon and again, I was like, yeah, of course, that's a no-brainer. Um, and so so he really, he started that uh, chain moving down the hill, really.
0: And so then you're now at a place where people can listen to what you put out in the world. And, you know, there's always this moment where you just have to start something. And so many people get hung up on perfections, and they need their logo perfect, or whatever creative endeavor they're launching that they're passionate about that maybe they're not making any money from, We sometimes, whether it's a mobile app, you get held up on making everything perfect, was there like a just start moment with you where you felt like, okay, I have to do this now or it may not ever happen? Um,
1: yeah, there, well, it was, a little, it was taken a little bit out of my hands um, because i had actually had the concept for a long time and I had sh- um, made the first episode with the Postal Service. I had been sitting on it for months and I was trying to shop it around to different brands as p- possible branded content. This was in 2013, and the idea of like, an audio series being as engaging as it's you know, turned out to be now that we know, like, the difference between where I was in 2013 and where the podcast world is now is so different. Um, at the time, people weren't really, um, they weren't, they liked the concept, but, but nobody was sort of like jumping at it. It felt a little bit like, also it wasn't, it was an unknown quantity. I was like, here's a concept, and here's some content. But there's no audience built in, and so it was a little bit slow. I didn't really um, know what I was going to do with it, and then I thought maybe I would try doing it as a podcast later. That came sort of came afterwards, and I sent it to um, Maximum Fun, a network what, here. What do you
0: mean branded content? Like you were trying to get a sponsor? Exactly, up like up like, not
1: and not just uh, upfront, but that it would like live in their world on their channels. You know, like on like, their
0: on their website or within exactly, that, they have a mobile app. So exactly. that you're like, just trying to like keep it as, you know, elevated as possible for people that don't understand advertising. So essentially like they your Verizon or maybe a more like a dogfish beer company and they could put it on their website or own the content. Exactly.
1: Yes, exactly. And it would be like it would be Song Exploder presented by every episode, you know, would be Song Exploder presented by blank. And it would be and I was going to people who I thought were sort of um connected to what the what the idea was. So, you know, like People who make speakers, people who make headphones, things like that. People where it's like, this is a show about hearing things more deeply. So this seems to make, it feels like there would be like some brand alliance
0: here. In the marketing biz, that's an endemic brand. I used to work at a gaming company and it was all about endemic, like Powerade or Red Bull or type type brands that, because in this day and age, like celebrity endorsements really aren't what they used to be. So you have to like target, and this sounds like a slam dunk a show about music you can listen to on the Bose speakers or the Jambox but it it was a bit too early you think is that what you're saying
1: yeah i think it was a little bit early and you know and it was asking them to support and believe in this thing that has no audience and then like grow it um so that was a and also i think in 2013 everybody's head was squarely only in in videos and youtube um and and mobile video so um audio just felt more niche which it is it, it definitely is yeah um anyway so at a certain point after a few months of this maybe 4 or 5 months of of kind of spinning my wheels taking some meetings but and and feeling somewhat encouraged but also a little discouraged i decided maybe i'll just try it on my own um only sort of on my own i thought i should try and see if maybe a podcast network would would be interested in it i didn't know exactly what that meant but there's a podcast that i love called the memory palace that I've been listening to for a while, and at a certain point, the year before, there was the the host Nate Damayo had made an announcement that he was joining this podcast network called Maximum Fun in Los Angeles. So I looked into it. They were I knew they were in L.A. I saw that that is also the home of Bullseye, um, an NPR show that I'd listened to and liked, and with uh, uh,
0: Jesse Thorne?
1: With Jesse Thorne, yeah. And so I thought, well, if it's good enough for the memory palace then this is obviously good enough for me i found the mailing address and i sent them a demo um a, a burned cd and like a handwritten note and um and some of my music just to show like the context of where i was coming from that i wasn't just like some schmo necessarily but that like i had this have had this career in music you know that that was legitimate and what type
0: of music do you
1: make um i have a band called the 1am radio that's sort of a in indie rock kind of electronic project singer songwriter um and you know i i've done some stuff with people who have been on who had been on bull's bullseye so i sent this note to jesse thorne
0: so and, you have some credibility you're not just a random cold call
1: exactly exactly um so i sent the uh note to jesse thorne and um again i didn't hear back from him for for some months and i thought it was sort of that that was a dead end and then i got um I finally did connect with him on the, on the phone. turns out he had lost the note that I had my contact info that I had included in the, this is the danger of snail mail, you know, like things can get lost a little more easily. Yeah. Um, there's a server that the, uh, the notes stored on. Exactly. Yeah. And so he, um, so he called me and we talked on the phone and I thought he was calling to just sort of give me advice about the show. Maybe give me like, make some suggestions. Um, but it turned out that he was actually interested in putting the sh- show on Maximum Fun, and they were about to announce shows um, on the network in two weeks. And he was like, So we would love to get this together and have it come out, you know, have the first episode come out on January 1st. And this was December 17th. Oh, wow. So I had less than two weeks to, to and, and there were so many things infrastructure wise. Um, he'd suggested a few things. One, that I changed the name. It wasn't called Song Explorer at that time. It was called Deconstructed. And uh, he thought that it would be better to have a name that was more specifically music-oriented. He was right about that. And also, the original concept was, I wasn't in the show at all. It was entirely non-narrated. It was only told from the point of view of the artist. So in in the Postal Service episode, my guest, um, the producer from the Postal Service, he introduced the episode, what the show was, himself, and then did his whole thing. I, you know, it's like a three sentence script that I'd be like, you know, hi, this is Jimmy from the postal service, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then he'd go and do his thing, and uh, and and I just wasn't going to be in it at all. And Jesse thought, no, that's probably it would be better for you to ha- be in there so that it feels like there's like an authorial entity that like makes this thing that you're it doesn't. Like the, it's, you're, you're the curator of right. of it. Although I really, really liked the idea that there. That that wasn't the case, which we it, which we talked
0: about over email last night.
1: Yes, exactly. And then yeah. I
0: read more into like your story about how you you're an editor, but you love to have the other the story be told by the person who's
1: being profiled. Exactly. Yeah, I want it to feel like it really is coming. You know that it feels like a diary entry, um, not that what I I didn't want it to feel like it was like a music critic coming in and saying, "Hey, this is what this record is about." Without having this first-hand experience this is what this record is about, and this is what you should think about it um, so I thought if I could get if I took myself out of it completely it would feel a little bit more like the listener was having a real genuine intimate experience with the p- people who made the made the music um, that being said, I think that it makes sense for there to be a, a voice I just do so I do a quick intro I do Thirty seconds at the beginning and a minute at the end. Um, there's a ninety seconds in each episode. That's me, and the rest of the fifteen minutes is just the music and the artist.
0: And what's the breakdown like for some, for the first episode? You're, you know, was the episode finished when Jesse said, "Let's put it on the air," and you had to record the intro? Um,
1: it was basically yeah, it was finished. There were a few things. There was a producer who he works with named Nick White, or who, who did, who's like a KCRW uh, producer producer project he's a really smart guy really knows his stuff and he gave me some a few technical tweaks um about my edit that you know i came from a music editing i mean i'm a musician i came from a music background but there were a couple things um that just that i missed like there's a crossfade on a breath that could have been done more, you know, a little more smoothly, stuff like that. So there were a few, few technical things that had to be fixed, but for the most part, I, I would say, except for the intro, it was ninety nine percent there. Um, but then I had to change the name, I had to come up with a logo, had to make a website, had to create a, you know, um, an account to publish the thing on iTunes, yeah. and do all that stuff. And I was leaving the country on the twenty fifth, so I had eight days basically to do all of this. It was, a, it was a scramble. So I th- love it. Back to your original question. You're just like throwing dates,
0: everything yeah. you can to like the three days before yes. you're, uh, where were you going abroad?
1: I was going to India for, for okay. my cousin's wedding. So, so you know, you're not like going to
0: Starbucks right. to upload files to Libsyn to send out to iTunes.
1: Exactly. No, I was going somewhere where I was not going to have Wi-Fi wow. probably and uh, I was going to be on a to- you know, totally different 12 and a half hour time zone difference. So I needed to get it done. Yeah, uh, it's an
0: extremely exciting moment. Because you're having this, like Jesse Thorn is a, a, he's like a pure old school podcast personality who he helps hand select certain shows, and that's a lot more visibility potential than just launching
1: it on your own. Exactly. Yeah. But so that meant that um, what, what you were saying, you know, about about waiting for things to be perfect, I had sort of s- agonized over the episode itself, but at that point where it's like, okay, now it's a, now it's go. I had no choice but just be like okay I'm doing it and I'm doing the best I can and it's going to be out there. Um it wasn't perfect. That first episode I've made I've learned a lot more since then and uh I've there are things that I would change and there are things that I have changed. In fact the whole format of the show is different for the first four episodes than it is for the 48 episodes that have followed. Um I used to put the song up front and then the dis- then the breakdown yeah. afterwards and and um and now I put the discussion first and then the song at the end. So um you know it's you don't it's hard to wait for something to be perfect because it's very difficult to know what perfect actually is until it's out in the world and and you see how it's being inter- um how people are interacting with it like because people's uh listenership of the show is different from what i was expecting yeah i thought it was going to be more of like a music discovery kind of show like hey let me find out about this cool band oh right like a new song and yeah yeah um and and less I guess I assumed that the listenership would be a little bit more similar to my own background and tastes and uh, and there were so many people who were coming from not a music background at all, and people who were coming from a music background had totally different tastes and and uh, and so that kind of opened the door to the fact that actually if you play the song first, um, I mean if you play the fo- song first, then it's sort of like you're kind of putting out your thesis in a way that might close some doors, but if you tell the story first. It's a little bit more universal. And then you play the song at the end, a song that somebody might not normally listen to or even like. They've now been baited you know, by the hook of this very human story. And then they'll hear it, and you listen to it in a way that's um, a lot more open-minded than you might. You know, it might be a genre that you have no interest in. You right. might not even like the song eventually, even after hearing it, but you'll have an appreciation for it that you never would have had um, from the get-go. So that was uh that was a uh, you know I I guess you could call it a mistake that I had made. It definitely wasn't wasn't perfect um, at the beginning. You mean and the, th- the, I still the, don't think it's perfect
0: the mistake yet. that the song was at the beginning. Yes, exactly. But like that's conceptual... also part of the process because if now that you think I you say that I do r- recall that. Yeah, I never notably thought. Oh, wow, the format was different before.
1: Right, right. It, it was a
0: it was a. But you as the creator, I'm sure you know and you agonize and.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I
0: think about going back and fixing those episodes.
1: or you're not, you Dude, know, not the, the I've mistake. had the
0: same dilemma. So I, I've sent you these episodes last night. Yeah. And I sent you the one with Flula, the guy who did my theme music. Yeah. And I'm listening to my opening, and it's like, I'm Ryan Williams. Right. And I was just like, what was I doing? In <laughs> episode five. Like, I had yeah. to. But I was under the pressure of getting up a show. I wanted to do it at least every other week. And I micro- my microphone was good, but not great. Right. And so I'm going through the dialogue of, do I – get this re-edited and do i record now a new opening and i don't know i have i haven't decided yet because mm-hmm. in some ways there's a purity to like not knowing what you didn't know
1: yes exactly. and that
0: you there's a great uh, quote by paul graham who's a silicon valley investor that if you're not embarrassed by your first product launch for something that you're building then you've launched too late Right. <laughs> and I, that applies to you. I mean, you, you, bu- you built a startup essentially in yeah. a short amount of time. Web presence, logo. You got editing notes. You had to launch it before you went to India. And we're all like these personality media brand type startups that it's our, our love and everything going into these companies that you don't even know if they're going to make money in the end. Right. But it's like the embarrassment. Like I cringed last night, like no joke. And I was like, oh, my God. I and then I listened to another old episode. And I've, I had more mistakes in the opening and I talked too long. And so I'm trying to think if like, this is nostalgia. <laughs> yeah. And, or if it's like, wait, am I actually like, you know, creating an experience where people would go back and not respect my work because it isn't as good as it could have been.
1: Right. Right.
0: What, right. what are you going to do?
1: Well, right now it, it, I haven't really been able to do anything with it because I'm just too busy doing the next episode uh, every week, so I would mean I would have to have like, some downtime to be able to sit down, unpack the thing, open it up, recut the episode, and re- republish it. Um, it would probably take a few hours, but for the, each one of those four episodes, I'd want to do all of them. I just haven't had the free day. I think I i think I think would like to do it. Yeah, I, I think it would be better. And the other thing is that like people are constantly discovering the show for the first time. Um, every time I put out a new episode, somebody will be... Uh, there are people who are coming to the show... For, uh, New and so they might go back to the old episodes. So just for a consistency of experience for for those people. But I hear what you're saying. There is a nostalgia. There's also like this sense of posterity of like, yeah, owning your mistakes. I, yeah. I this was what it was at first, and then it changed. And these are the reasons why.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I literally was having this thought last night where I sometimes I'm afraid to go back and listen to old episodes because I don't know. I I, I don't like hearing my own voice. As I'm sounds like maybe you can relate to. Yeah. Um, but I'm the one actually interviewing. So I should get used to it more since this is episode seventy something. Right. Um, but yeah, the uh just this rolls right into like my next question because you talk about just starting and the imperfections of trying to perfect your launch. Yeah. But you're like a mini startup and yeah. you're branding, you're doing logos. So in the end, like what how many jobs do you do now? It's, you book the talent, you I interview a- them. I mean, you're doing probably ten different
1: Oh, for, for the podcast? Yeah. Mean? Now, I mean, yeah,
0: like, I call it the, there's a Jay-Z effect. Uh-huh. Jay's like, you know, he's an age now sports agent. He's a rapper. Right. He's married to Bay. Yeah. You have to do like 20 jobs now because yeah. you, you, you don't have the resources to hire a whole team. So how um, many, how many roles do you actually have for the show?
1: So I, I book the shows, um, which I guess is like a producer's job. And that's actually takes up, that's a very difficult, like surprisingly
0: tribute. more time than people would realize.
1: Yes. Um, so, I'm booking the show, and then I do the interviews um so I'm the interviewer, and then i
0: and how long do you typically interview
1: the interviews the raw material usually goes about an hour a little over an hour um and then I cut it and then I cut that down I cut my side of the interview out so it's just the you know the responses and then I just mine sort of the best responses and marry it to the um to the music so I'm the editor and mixer as well um and then you know, but and I'm also like the webmaster and the you know whatever the person who delivers the the show you and deploy the show to iTunes. Yeah, yeah I'm the graphic designer.
0: T- titles, yeah. metadata. Yeah. Um, and then, like, what was it like with like using an example of Bono and the Edge? Did you get a lot of time with them, or did
1: you have to be efficient? I um I was told I was going to have half an hour with the Edge and 15 minutes with Bono in two separate interviews. The, um, were they remote? They were remote, yeah. And the the interview with the Edge ended up going for forty five minutes because I guess he was having a good time. Um, I you know the thirty minute mark hit, and I was talking to him on the phone, and I sort of sent a message on my computer to to the publicist saying, "Hey, do you need me to wrap it up?" And she was like, "Yeah, that would be great." And I was like, "Okay." And um, and then I was and so I was like, "Hey, thank you so much for talking to me. Really, it's been so great." And he was like, yeah. And then he just kept talking and he kept telling me more stories and he told me some like really good stuff in this, in those next few minutes. And, uh, and so I sent another message to the publicist saying like, I'm sorry, I tried to wrap it up. And she wrote me back and she said, Hey, don't worry about it. It means he's having, he's enjoying this. So it's totally fine. Um, and then I had, so I had 45, I ended up having 45 minutes with him and about 15 or 16 minutes with, uh, Bono.
0: And when you had the 45 minutes with the edge, was there a moment where you reached this like intimacy or you felt like you were getting a story, like something he told you that you felt like, Oh wow, this is like something that I didn't expect to get or that maybe not everyone would get like in a traditional press tour.
1: Yes. I mean, I think that's, that's why I make song exploder is because it is a format that allows people to talk about their music in a way that's unique. Um, I don't think there's, there aren't really many places where people can talk about stuff with such granular specificity about their decision making and you know and that's the stuff that anybody who makes music they're really proud of all these things that went into it that most people will miss I mean, that's just part of making music as you know that 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 so much of the effort in the end you know like your arrangement your the everything in the end it's to make this sort of beautiful piece of of music this like stereo file but there's so many things potentially going on so many decisions tiny creative decisions and technical problems that needed to be solved and nobody will ever hear those things so this is the one chance for people to talk about it so i think on any press tour yes it's going to be it's going to be different and um and yeah and it was really nice you know he had actually listened to the podcast beforehand so it was great for the first minute I you know he said hello and he was like Hey, it's great to talk to you. I love the podcast. I actually like put that up on uh, put a little uh, recording of that on Instagram. Him saying, "Hey, I love the podcast," because it's it was just like such a thrill, and it set me at ease right away because I knew that he knew what he was getting into, and so he he was down to nerd out about the small decisions right away. And he,
0: I love that when he talked about using GarageBand. Yeah, this is like art tapestry, right? And I'm thinking that's. You know what I use to edit my podcast exactly. Imagine, you him imagine in his kitchen and he's on GarageBand. There's a visual there that you normally wouldn't get when someone goes on Jimmy Fallon, or it takes a medium like this to you know really explore it, right? And so when you, I mean, that's in some ways is that a byproduct of of did you expect that artists because it's you've been around for now what almost two years?
1: Yeah, it'll be two years um, come January. Like, is
0: it something that, like, did you expect that the artist would gravitate this? Because you created an opportunity and then you tightly edit the show in a way that people seem to gravitate and respect. Like, what's it like when the artist does respect that?
1: And did you expect it? I mean, I definitely hoped for it. I, I, my pitch for a long time was, was sort of, hey, I'm, you know, my, my, I mean, my first First thing was to just ask all of my friends because they knew that that I would be sensitive to making you know making sure they sound good and also asking the right questions, asking interesting questions. Um, but then when I started to branch out beyond the people who I knew immediately, um that You're was still about a like sort people of, that you had in the show that you had a connection to. Yes, exactly. That you like work, you work with. Yeah, Jimmy from the Postal Service. He and I have made music together. We've toured together, so we had a history already. So it was easy for me to ask him first. Um, and then, but then, as I started to to go further out, you know, I one of the first people that I asked, who I did not know, was Jeff Beal, the composer from House of Cards. And part of my pitch was, "Hey, I've scored for films before, and I make this podcast, and I'm really interested in the in yep. the scoring process." Um, so I think that there's this idea that, like, I'm trying to put put forth that I'm I'm one of you, you know, like we are we're on the same team. And, and, and this show is kind of a reaction to some of the frustrations that you have with interviews. I have the same frustrations and I'm not going to subject you to those things.
0: And then when you reached out to him, was that through a warm connection?
1: <laughs> no, it was totally cold. Okay. I uh, love cold call.
0: Yeah. I would say like maybe 40% of my guests, including you are cold calls. Yeah. And what's it like? I mean, I'd love for you to explain that to people that are listening To the art and science of cold calls and then also getting ignored but then receiving that note months later that this is happening
1: yeah Uh, I mean cold calling it's not something I was unfamiliar with you know my I always used to think about making music or I realized when I as a musician that that 80% of the job of playing music is sending emails out into the vacuum of space and hoping you get a response you know at least because music is such a such a hustle you know you have to it is also like a little startup you know you've got your brand and you've got your product and you're just trying to put it out there in the world and you do everything you can to try and get somebody's attention so i was used to that and um i knew what the frustrations were i had like been lucky enough to have like this small modicum of success of being able to like put out a few records, be on a record label, have, you know, tour, but not that like my band is that big. I mean, that's another thing that I have had to say in, in relation to the podcast, which is like, sorry, you're not big enough to be on the show. Don't take it personally. I'm also not big enough to be on the show, My, yeah. own, you know, but, um, anyway, that's probably
0: why you do the show. If your band was really big, you wouldn't necessarily have time to pay this much attention to detail. Yes. To do the show.
1: Right. Yeah. That's true. that's true um i mean i was sort of i had finished my last tour i had scored a couple of films and i was just on a break when i decided that you know i think a lot of people will have like an idea of like oh that would be a cool idea for somebody to do sometime and that was how i felt about song exploder but that it just happened to be that it landed at a time when i had like finished a couple projects i wasn't about to go on tour i wasn't making a new record and i thought well maybe instead of waiting for somebody else to make this you know this would be a good idea for somebody else to make maybe i'll try and see it through myself um and i knew it was something that i could do technically on my own just being audio and it was in the world that i was already in anyway so cold calling is is something that i think has now been deeply ingrained into my bones just by you know being a diy musician you know that that's something i learned from fugazi the band fugazi is oh, like yeah. a you know, it was a huge influence since I was 14 years old. And their whole thing of DIY, everything, you know, um, of like, oh, you want to play a show and no book clubs, um, are in your town. You set up the show yourself. You do it in a basement. If if you have a basement, you know, if there's a church, you do it at the church, you know, you, you do it wherever you can do it. And you want to put out a record. Okay. You get your friends together, you, and you like cut out covers and you like make them and then you sell them yourself and you build a business yourself. And, um, anyway, so I came from that school.
0: So it's like, you're just like business. selling records out of your trunk. Exactly. And you got to do it cause no one else is going to book you and no one else is going to print your record.
1: Exactly. And I did literally sell records out of my trunk, you know, after, uh, after college until I got to slowly have be a little bit bigger. Where'd you and go to college? I went to Yale. And then
0: where'd you live to when you started these, the bands?
1: Um, I was, you're- I was in, in college, I was at Yale when I started the the one AM radio, and um, and so I started sort of touring my like senior year. I was I was playing sort of playing shows on the weekends and stuff like that. Um, and I did my first tour after after I graduated, and you know, and I had like my box of CDs in the trunk of the car, and and you know, pull them out for the show. So. So that idea is, is like you have your cool.
0: merch table at the show, and you're playing like the 9:30 Club or the Black
1: Cat. I'm from DC, so that's why. Right, so, No, is. not the 9:30 Club or the Black Cat. That's the thing. It's like, <laughs> like you have to be already, you know, Establish. on a record label yeah. with a book. You know, when I was playing in DC, I was playing at, you know, the um, punk student house at American University. Oh, nice, whatever. You know, like things like that. Um, You don't you don't like the nine thirty club is like, you got to work and work and work. Right. You know, I got to eventually play those places 10 years later. Um, so it was just using the same exact tools and philosophy to make the podcast. You just work until, and, and you just do it yourself.
0: I was talking to my friend yesterday about, uh, the podcast I'm running this book and he has his own media ad agency and, how like success often comes from like eight years of failing a lot. And then suddenly this thing, all your skills that you've had that in some ways were disparate that they come together in a way that you now can create and book your own gig, which is a big opportunity. And with me, it's like the book I know how to market. I'm have an editor who's helping me write what all these things, like I did stand up comedy. They're all helping that I would never expect it. I worked in film and now I'm making videos and, Like you, it sounds like the music industry, like your ability to perform, your ability to to sell and hustle on your own out of your car selling, you know, records or CDs. Like it sounds like there's a melding of all these skills that really perfectly, like the storm came together for Song Exploder.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, and my non music life, uh, my my other sort of work was um, always as a designer and. And I think that graphic design, a graphic designer, yeah. And um, song exploder, to me is is really deeply rooted in that as well. I think the um, some of those decisions about like cutting myself out of the interviews, keeping them really short, um, and and sort of as spare as as possible, those are uh, to me those feel like design decisions. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's how I would approach a design project too. Um, so. And and music and design have always kind of been together for me, like making my band's packaging or you know websites for other bands and record labels and stuff like that. That's always been they've always gone hand in hand. But this is a new way for them to have gone hand hand in hand, um, it, and it does feel like a culmination of all these different things. It's such an
0: amazing now the internet and mobile phones. You get your skills that you never thought would even be related to each other, and now you're launching things that you believe in. Um, what's so What's it like now when you're like I read you didn't like, you didn't think in your mind that you would do live shows. Right. And then you XO, XO you did a live show there and then you did one in LA recently. So what is it like with a crowd? And you're the one that's not even focused on the podcast because you do the editing and you very tight episodes like we talk about. And then also what's it like meeting people that it's not like you're a band where you're on stage and you rocked out. It's, People that took the time to listen in their earbuds, like how how does that feel?
1: It feels great. It honestly, feels actually very similar to to meeting people after a show. But part of it is just like the music that I make. I think that um, in tone or personality, maybe it inspires the same kind of um, the people are very sweet, very nice people who listen to the podcast and who listen to my music. So it's I feel like I'm meeting similar kinds of people. Um, people who are just like earnest and sincere and um and that's been really nice because you have
0: an npr like feel like it's so well produced and now you do it yourself you can get the word out about it so like do you think years ago this maybe would have been lost on npr because it would have been a segment versus you having the ability to own your own channel
1: yeah i don't even know i mean i never i I never had any kind of aspirations in this direction at all, so, you know, it was really only like a couple months before it became a podcast that the idea of even making a podcast ever occurred to me. Um, I don't know what, what it would have been like, and I guess so. Um, it does feel like a product of our time. Like I, I couldn't have conceived of the show, myself at least as something that I could make if it weren't for like what the culture was technologically and, and uh, yeah, where, where we were in terms of access and, and, and connecting, you know, being able to connect with people. That's great. Okay. We
0: have a couple more questions. And yeah. uh, one is the, um, the collaborative element of other podcasting members of the community. Like you have done a crossover show with uh reply all mm-hmm. and you're, you're you have a music industry like spin magazine wrote about the show and like what as far as the podcasting community goes like how how do you fit into that world since it's not a traditional i, I mean i don't know how to just how do you fit in that world because you collaborate so well and it fits in but you're also so different in a lot of ways because it is a music driven show
1: yeah it's um there I, I do feel like there are a few different pockets in the world of podcasting and the one that i see the most that i'm like that's kind of loudest in my radar and on my twitter feed um nowadays tends to be people who are coming kind of coming from a more narrative background you know like the of course serial being a huge phenomenon but all the things that led up to and have come since um those tend to get the most attention in, in the world that I live in. And that's of course very different from song exploder. Song exploder being a more like pop culture interview kind of thing, but it also doesn't have any, of doesn't have really like the levity and, uh, and like pop culture entertainment kind of feeling that, that a Jimmy Kimmel interview does. So it it doesn't kind of fit there. Um, And so in some ways I I don't feel like I, I fit in um, with a lot of like, you know, like the radiotopia stuff is so, so, impeccably done and, uh, and a lot of times feels like very serious journalism um, uh, and like the guys uh, who make Reply All as well like they do these they're doing they're reporters I am not a reporter at all I'm not a writer I'm not a journalist you know uh, and um, so I do feel like a misfit and and I'm not sure how seriously Song is taken in that world and I understand that because it isn't it isn't like this kind of like it doesn't fall under the model of this American life in any way um, and I think that it, it helps to be a, somehow have some part of that in your DNA. And I don't, but, uh, what I love about podcasts is that the, there are so many of them. There are, I mean, there are so many different flavors. Um, the, the po- podcast that really influenced me, that made me feel like Song Exploder was a, was a possible thing. Um, a viable thing that I could put out into the world where there was, um, there are a few and they're not similar to each other at all. But there's The Business from KCRW, which is like a really insider um weekly radio show and podcast about Hollywood, yeah. about film and TV that I love. Um, um also the Memory Palace, because some of those episodes are like three minutes, four minutes, five minutes long. And that showed that on a podcast, you are not married at all to any kind of time format. You can do when it's on demand content, you don't have to worry about like the grid of a radio program or TV program. Um, And also it's just like so beautiful and such an intimate show. Um, And uh, the other one honestly was Doug loves movies um, because yeah, Doug Benson's podcast, because it, um, because of the game, there's like this beginning, middle, and end. It, it, even though they ramble and they joke and they, they do a thing, there's a, there's a real like purpose to the show in that they're gonna start, they're gonna play a game and it's gonna come to a conclusion. And um, so there's this sort of like external arc as opposed to like with Mark Marin, there he more or less goes biographically, so there is kind of a beginning in it. There are a lot of shows where you know you could just keep talking. And I, I liked the idea. I was inspired by the idea that there's this like external structure. That, and for me, the external structure was the song. So these three, and these three podcasts. Again, there's no other show that's like Doug Loves Movies out there, where there's the four people playing the Leonard Maltin game. There's no podcast out there like uh, Memory Palace. Certainly not a, a, at the time when I started. Can you describe songs. what me- Memory Palace is. Memory Palace is just um, it's a first person show written by and narrated by Nate Mayo He tells stories from history that are maybe overlooked, um, really interesting stories. Uh, about things that you know it might maybe it would warrant a sentence in a history book but then he extrapolates from that he he'll dig into that story and he'll and he'll talk about it for five minutes but he's a he's a storyteller he's a he's a great writer and um it's very poetic and sort of like um really beautiful kind of like show so it it feels like very nighttime it feels like almost like a lullaby but with somebody speaking so the tone of that was really inspirational too. Uh, so I knew that. So even though I don't fit in with like this kind of maybe most prestigious part of podcasting, uh, I like the long tail. of Do of, you
0: mean snobby
1: <laughs> when you
0: say prestigious? Because I feel like there is this community where it seems like it's a. I, I've been doing this for ten years. Not me personally, but people that have been doing mm-hmm. This American Life for ten years. Or there's no coincidence that startup is so successful, and you know because those guys were on Planet Money, and you know there's no serial. Of course, had this you know amazing opportunity where they launched off this American Life, and startup did as well. Where like they are journalists, right? They, journalists are have a different viewpoint towards the world, right? Um, um, I, I, I don't. I wouldn't say they're. I don't mean to, snobby, don't though, mean to be like derogatory, because, but I think yeah. there's there's just like a just like. Comedians are like this or improvisers are like this and every community where people are like, no, we've done this for 10 years. It's not like we just flicked
1: a switch and suddenly had great success. Yes, I I will say that there have definitely been conversations I've had with people in that world who um, have very sweetly and respectfully suggested that I change the format of the show to model a little bit more like they're like what if you did this and what if you did this and as they make these suggestions you realize it's like to mold it, it would end up molding the show a little bit more in that that format where it's like why don't you put yourself more in the show um you know you can act as a guide for the listeners which is the planet money way you know it, it is the the startup way um and I think that's because they do know what they're doing and they know it's successful. And they're giving me like very genuine advice. I would say that I've had the, I've had the like honor of of being able to talk to some of those people like I, um, Robert Smith and Alex Bloomberg. And those guys have been nothing but extremely nice supportive uh, of the show and, and, and very cool. So I wouldn't say they were snobby at all. It doesn't feel like it's a snobby thing. It's just, whether it's internal or external, those are the shows that have like the most prestige and the most like gravitas. Absolutely. Um, and you know, hearing a 20 year old rapper talk about music, it just might not have that same kind of gravitas to a gr- group of people. And I'm okay with that.
0: That's great. You, a, you, you give very good answers. I feel like I, uh, I, you ask I, like a follow-up question I'm about to ask it and then you answer it. So <laughs> I, I like those kind of guests. And, uh, so finally, I guess the, 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 first question, I have two questions. One is how many hours do you think you spend all in all? Um, not booking, but just editing and recording
1: to... Oh, per episode? Yeah. Um, it's it, it shakes out to a little bit, little over an hour per minute, I would say. Oh, wow. So okay. A 15-minute episode takes me about 15 to 16 hours um, just to do the edit and the mix, not including the interviewing and the booking.
0: Which you would have no... So with the interview and booking, it could be, you know, another five
1: hours, potentially. Yeah yeah i mean and, you know research, the booking ends up often and- is uh, the the interview the booking part often ends up getting strung out over weeks and weeks and weeks right you know like the the youtube podcast they you know asked if i would want to do that that was in december and it wasn't until june that that episode came out you know just trying to find figure out the logistics of like them the touring and stuff like that and you know sometimes we'll i'll set up the stuff it'll get canceled so th- that is like an that is like an infinite variable. You never know how long that part's gonna take. Once I have the audio, I know it's up to me, I'm back in the studio, then I can say, okay, this, this episode, you know, is gonna be this is gonna be two solid days of nothing else just working on this. And then I usually have to build in another day to just listen to the mix because I, I tend to be really picky about the sound of, of the show too.
0: And then on top of it with you too, you you email them in
1: August. I emailed the publicist in August. Yeah, exactly. And then they got
0: so it was almost a year. Almost a year, end to end.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, that's amazing. So patience. <laughs> um, yeah. And the final question is: people are always, you know, curious about podcast networks. Yeah. And you're now part of Radiotopia. So how has that changed your audience as far as growing it, and how does it help you to have such like experienced collaborators and people you can look to for advice and making your content better?
1: It's great. I mean, Roman Mars, who started Radiotopia with PRX through his show Ninety Nine Percent Invisible, has been one of my biggest champions. Before I was ever on on Radiotopia, he um, featured the song the featured song exploder on one of his episodes, and um, it was huge. That that was it was a similar kind of thing, you know, on a much smaller scale. It's not like launching off of This American Life, but it introduced me to a lot of people who hadn't heard of the show. Um, and he's been somebody who, again, before I ever joined Radiotopia, he's somebody who I would turn to, "What should I do?" Or, "How did you figure this part out?" You know, What, what makes the most sense?" Um, what he does is very different from, from what I do. 99 percent Invisible is, is a completely uh, its own thing, but it has a similar intention, which is to, like take things apart, figure them out see what's really happening, you know, tell a story that you wouldn't necessarily hear. So, and and I think he's incredible at what he does. So it's been great to have somebody who I respect that much as a kind of advisor.
0: And so when you joined their network, was it something that was a no brainer that you felt like, okay, this fits with the culture of what I do
1: and potentially I could get a bigger audience? It was not a no brainer. Um, I, had left Maximum Fun, and my intention was to just be independent. Um, I felt like I could do what I was doing on my own, and, and I didn't necessarily need a network. I was kind of content with how things were going and and growing. And um, just like with the Fugazi method, you know, I liked the autonomy. But I will say one of the things that Roman said to me that was a huge – that suddenly made me go, oh, okay, is he compared – radiotopia to discord records he the, fugazi's record label yeah. that, that they started you know he was like he's like i think of radiotopia as the discord records of podcasts and i was like oh man way to like hit me hit me right in the <laughs> right at home so um that was a good pitch on his part but um i i had actually gotten some offers from other from other uh podcast networks as well and i um and and it was not an easy or clear decision. Is that something
0: you recommend if people's podcasts get to a certain visibility that it's great cuz you said you wanted to keep it independent up until the discord records line. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean one thing that I love about Radiotopia is that it is also um they they are all kind of misfits. There isn't really like a it's not like Earwolf where there is a um very strong kind of comedy uh through line or um yeah, anyway, it's just like th- all or, or of the shows... G- Gimlet,
0: Gimlet has a certain sensibility. Right, uh, yes, like that Planet Sto- Storytelling. Right. Exactly. Which you like one show, you're probably going to like all the shows because exactly. you generally they're very good and they're very similar in, in values.
1: Yeah. So with Radiotopia, I feel like it's a little bit harder to pin down what that through line is, which is again like some, that, something that I found appealing. Just like aesthetically, it felt like the right fit because people who make the shows on there, they, they all make these sort of weird misfit shows like song exploder. They don't fit particularly in one niche, but they're kind of joined by a caliber of production, I think. Um, and, and a, just a kind of, I don't know, an intellectual curiosity that, that I admire.
0: And so, uh, what's just the final, 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 we're ending right now, but I think that, you you mentioned earlier like you wanted to be the you thought the show should be made and you wanted to be the person to do it and now it seems like you're the right guy to do the show which is like a self-fulfilling cuz you thought the show should be made
1: Right I thought somebody should make
0: it It may as well be you And now in some ways you've like validated that you were the right person for the show which yeah. is pretty cool. I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe I you're still, not but no one, maybe else not. Is, no one else is doing it. Yeah so what show <laughs> what shows should people check out? Do you are you particularly what what are some underrated shows that aren't as sexy as you two and and having a, a big brand name? I see.
1: Um um let's see. There's a, a a band that is very, very big to me. One of my favorite bands, but maybe not so well known to other people is the books. This and um I did an episode with but maybe not so well known to other people is the books. This and um I did an episode with <laughs> who is the person who I interviewed who wrote the song, he has a science background and his approach to music and his like both in terms of how things are made the art side but also like the science of it is it was mind-blowing I could have listened to him talk all day um it's great there's a part where he talks about how how the drums are made and it's they're made using the locked groove of a record with an exacto knife he scratched he scratched, made little cuts into the locked groove using a protractor so that as the circle spins around, it would do it on the, like with the rhythm of a drum. So, you know, by making a big scratch on two and four, it was like the snare drum. It, it's amazing. And he talks about how all rhythm is geometry. The and metaphors that he sort of drew, the way that he saw the world, was unlike anything that I had ever um, thought about. So, that's one that people should definitely check out. Okay. That's um, cool. Also, the Long Winters episode. Um, it's a band that people maybe don't know, um, but John Roderick, the singer and songwriter wrote a song about the Columbia space shuttle disaster from 2003. And it is a very moving episode. I got choked up several times just while editing it by myself. And, um, and I have gotten many, seen many, many tweets and messages, emails from people who felt similarly, who, you know, cried after hearing it because it is such a moving song and such a movie moving story so check those ones out for sure
0: yeah i mean everyone remembers where they were when that happened yeah if you're of a certain age okay cool well wish you continued success with song thanks Explorer. so much for
1: inviting me to talk to you no i love
0: it and uh, glad we made this work <laughs> want to give a big shout out to rishi k he was a phenomenal fun guest to get on the podcast learned a lot about creativity and harnessing your idea launching it at the right time So uh, check out songexploder.com. Also, uh, PRX, Carrie Hoffman, want to give her some love. She was on the panel that I put together down in Austin, Texas, over South by Southwest, which was a podcasting community and monetization panel where you had about 80, 90 people show up. So I want to say hi to her, as well as Maggie Taylor, who helped put part of the panel together. So check us out, influencereconomy.com. Leave a review on iTunes if you are so inclined to help us Get discovered in iTunes by new listeners and pre-order the book coming soon to a Kindle near you.